And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me again in the studio is Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. Hans Vogt. Reverend Mark Diedrich serves as pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York. He's also a longtime area naturalist and outdoorsman. He's also an educator. He lives in Kerhonkson, New York, with his wife and two daughters. Also has a son serving with Wycliffe in Brazil, as well as another daughter out in Colorado. Hans Vogt, Associate Professor at Ulster County Community College. And like we said last week, if you ever find yourself taking a history course at U-Tri-C, there's a good chance you'll encounter Professor Vogt. Hans lives in Saugerties, New York, with his wife, Debbie, and their two children. Good afternoon, fellas. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. (laughs) Say afternoon. This program will be heard both morning and afternoon, but uh, you get the drift. Hey, uh, last week we were talking about a very interesting question. It kind of blossomed into a discussion much larger than we could fit in in a single uh, session, and that was concerning the life of John Calvin, particularly his thinking, how that thinking influenced many people, and finally influenced America. And uh, some of the things that we have in America regarding liberty, the structure of our government, really ties back to some of the thoughts of John Calvin. And uh, before we open the mic here today, we were just talking a little bit about one of the uh, concepts of uh, John Calvin, and that was related to uh, man's total depravity. And as I opened the scriptures, I was reminded of this that it says in uh, Romans chapter 3. And I believe this uh, illustrates this idea straight from the scriptures. And it says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. That's Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. So this whole idea of the total depravity of man gets fleshed out, doesn't it, in terms of the way government is even structured. Correct me if I'm wrong here, gentlemen. Definitely. Um, Calvin, uh, in his Institutes, uh, in the Book 4, Chapter 20 that we were talking about last week, says that we need not labor to prove that a wicked king is the Lord's wrath upon the earth. Uh, In other words, that uh, uh, kings... uh, although appointed by God and rulers and magistrates appointed by God, uh, are every bit as subject to human depravity as anybody else. Uh, And he even goes on to say uh, that lesser uh, officials of the government uh, have a duty to resist kings who, and again I quote Calvin, who violently fall upon and assault the lowly common folk. Mm -hmm. So, this duty uh, to not only understand that human depravity affects all of us, but that uh, when it affects those who are in positions of power, they need to be held accountable. Yes, indeed. And like we mentioned last week, um, that doesn't give license to the individual to um, just violate laws of civil decency, to just go out, start killing people. Um, not at all. Calvin would not uh, advocate that whatsoever. There's always this structure set up. It's more of a representative type of government. It's a government where there are checks and balances because of the 
concern over man's total depravity because we know that, as the Scripture says, that man has inherited the very guilt of Adam. And unless God miraculously intervenes sovereignly, changing that heart, uh, changing the passions of the mind and heart to strongly follow after Christ, the head of the church, then we have uh, chaos in the land. Right. Calvin very clearly makes a distinction between the duty of individuals to be subject and show due respect to the magistrates and the duty of those in government to correct people in power. Uh, And when you look at our own American Revolution, uh, many of the founding fathers, like John Adams, deplored the mob violence or riots that went on in some of the cities uh, and contrasted that to the orderly actions of the Continental Congress and the uh, elected representatives uh, of the people. One of the interesting things, though, with Calvin is, although he, he realized that a majority or a, a mob could be wrong. He also uh, recognized the individual is also being someone who had great responsibilities to even the choosing of the leaders. And one of the things he did in his institutes is he also wrote about where the church had strayed. And one of the places where he pointed out the church had strayed was setting up the Pope, setting up this hierarchy wherein the people never elect anyone and he goes back uh, in history yeah. to show that the the people actually did elect a lot of their elders mm-hmm. early on. And so we have this concept of uh, the laity having an active part in the government of the church, and then by uh, relationship, an active part in the government of the civil government of the nation. Good point. And the Puritans brought that over with them. When John Winthrop and the Puritans established the Massachusetts Bay Colony, Mm -hmm. the charter that they had received from King Charles I of England allowed them, uh, the directors of the colony, to be a self-perpetuating government. And instead, when they got to Massachusetts, John Winthrop uh, changed that part of the charter and allowed all the free men of the colony to vote and choose Mm. the governors and the Mm. leaders. Yeah, that's neat. A representative form of government is a, is a wonderful blessing to uh, participate in. Um, I know Debbie and I, we vote regularly, and uh, even though sometimes the choices aren't, you know, what we would want, um, you know, we too mm-hmm. come under that authority that God has placed over us. And um, last uh, last week, in fact, we were talking a little bit about this, this text in uh, Romans chapter 13, where it... It says, uh, whoever resists uh, the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring uh, judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. You know, I'm thinking here, Pastor um, Diedrich, correct me if I'm wrong, that this is not just a uh, description, but also a prescription. I, I I think God is prescribing as well as describing for us here the role of of a of a godly governor of of a people exactly and one of the things and I think it's interesting to note if you look at at Romans thirteen and you look at the time in which it was written it was written probably uh, early in the the reign of Nero hmm. now one of the things we uh, often forget or maybe many people don't realize we always think of Nero as a megalomaniac <laughs> but early on in his reign. 
Nero was not considered a megalomaniac. Mm, Nero was considered actually almost a breath of fresh air, and many people had high hopes for it. Mm -hmm. And I think you see Paul writing here about that and writing that description as to what a ruler ought to be, thinking that Nero, in fact, would probably be such a ruler. Mm. When, When you get to Timothy, however... And he starts writing, and then Nero has changed by that point. And you see it. Notice how Paul, instead of talking about uh, the wonderful things of the ruler in Timothy, he starts writing, pray for the rulers that we might live peaceable lives. In other words, he's kind of lowering the bar of expectation and saying we ought to, at least when we've got a lousy ruler or a wicked ruler, as Nero turned out to be, Mm-hmm. to pray for them that we still might have the freedoms to uh, spread the gospel. There it is. Yeah, that's it. Uh, the uh, freedom of Christ um, is to be protected by uh, our rulers. Um, right. In fact, uh, this text tells us, he says, for rulers are not a terror to good works but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have mm-hmm. praise from the same. So that... Uh, rather strongly implies that that this ruler that God has placed over us um, has his mind formed after really the things of God, that he knows what's right and what is wrong. It amazes me in our society today that words are being redefined. We don't know what's right, what's wrong, and yet um, you just read some of the simple verses of Scripture like this today, and it just becomes so evident. He's God's minister to you for good. If you do evil, be afraid, <laughs> for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Well, we're just about out of time for this segment of the program. We need to take a break. We'll be right back. I'm in the studio today with Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. Hans Vogt. Stay with us. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And we're back. You're listening to A Plain Answer here on Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf in the studio with us today, Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. Hans Vogt. One of the points that we made before the break uh, was the idea of the responsibility of the rulers, and that 
Calvin is very clear that they must always be subject to the ultimate authority of God, and that when the rulers violate God's rule, you have to obey God and not man. He says, that obedience uh, which we have shown to be due the authority of rulers, we are always to make this exception. Indeed, to observe it as primary, that such obedience is never to lead us away from obedience to him to whose will the desires of all kings ought to be subject. Mm -hmm. In other words, to God. Mm -hmm. So, that really gives us the idea that um, the purpose of rulers is always to carry out God's uh, rules. Uh, And that when rulers themselves violate God's rules, then uh, they have lost the source of their authority, really. Mm. Mm. Now, you could conceivably have a situation in society where the ruler, uh, and it's happened in biblical history, is telling you to kill the children, right? Uh, What do you do in a case like that? Well, we have to obey God first. And so um, Calvin would not have a problem with that. The Bible doesn't have a problem with that. We have to obey God first, mm-hmm. and, and, and if, if the law of man violates the law of God and thus violates our conscience, then we have an obligation to obey God first. And that's just what Peter and John said to the rulers, the uh, synagogue rulers and the temple rulers, you know, when they told them not to preach. And they said, what? Should we obey God or men? Mm-hmm. And, of course, the answer is we obey God. Yeah. And we obey God first. And that's that's one of the things that they kept in mind through all of this, that what they were doing was trying to honor God. And that's what Calvin wanted to do. He wanted to to honor God. And one of the things you mentioned earlier, Dan, is, is you talked about how things have been redefined. And we have redefined, I think, liberty to mean license. And license was the farthest thing from the minds of our founding fathers, and certainly from Calvin when he talked about liberty. It's not to do whatever I want, but to do what we believe God wants us to do. Yeah, in fact, I just can't get away from this Romans 13 text. I keep reading it here, and further down the text, it says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here, Paul, in the context of the civil magistrate and what is expected of that civil magistrate, is now quoting the Ten Commandments. And so so it's very clear that our liberty is based on obedience to God himself and the principles and laws that he has laid down, and, and God expects the civil magistrate to carry out these laws as well. That was very important to the Founding Fathers in the Revolution, the idea of ordered liberty. Uh, and al- although not all of the Founding Fathers were Calvinists, uh, sad <laughs> no, to say, right. but, uh, but they mm. understood the importance of virtuous citizens. Indeed, they believed that a republic could not endure if the citizens were not virtuous, if they were not willing to well obey. Put, their well put, yeah. yeah. Those citizens must, must yeah. be virtuous, as you say, yeah. yeah. Wise and virtuous citizens uh, would elect, presumably, wise and virtuous rulers. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, if the people uh, were not uh, virtuous, if they did 
interpret liberty as license, then they would elect rulers uh, who were unwise. And uh, history showed that republics tended not to last very long for that reason. Mm. Uh, And they were very concerned uh, that theirs might suffer the fate of other past republics. Now, can I just uh, take a, a quick detour here for just a moment? We've been using the word republics. I haven't heard the word democracy. Um, you want to comment? I see a big smile on your face there. Something, your eyes are lit up. Maybe, maybe there's something we need to comment on there. Well, they are two different things, although we often uh, confuse them. Uh, democracy, of course, means rule of the people. Uh, and uh, in its most direct form, that would be, for example, the New England town meeting, where all the voters get together and they vote on what the laws and the town budget should be and so forth. Uh, Republic actually comes from uh, the Latin race publica, meaning the common good. Uh, And a republic is the idea not of direct rule by the people, but rather of representative government, Mm -hmm. uh, that the people elect uh, their rulers, who then in turn represent the good or and work for the good of the people as a whole. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Founding Fathers used the word disinterested to describe this. Uh, Disinterested did not mean uninterested. It meant rather that uh, elected leaders were to put aside their own personal interests and do what was best for the nation uh, as a whole. Mm -hmm. And that's an idea I think we've gotten away from uh, in recent years, unfortunately. Yeah, and um, the reason I ask that question is in the back of my mind I've got this – I get – this thing rolling around where sometimes a president will say, oh, we, we want to uh, bring democracy to that nation. Or <laughs> To me, it reminds me of nation building or kingdom mm. building. But really, uh, correct me if mm. I'm wrong, we, we as a nation in America are a constituted republic. Correct. Uh, and mm. uh, we see, I guess you can say we see democracy in action, maybe. You could say that. I don't know. But um, it's, it's more of the idea of a constituted republic. Yeah, one of the things, as Hans brought up, is what we need is, is real statesmen who are servant statesmen instead of rulers. Uh, and uh, sad to say, I think sometimes we too often see our officials acting more like kings and princes than, than yeah. states, statesmen that are there to, well, as Calvin would, have it first to serve God and then to serve the people. And uh, I would say one of the things Calvin did is he lived that in his life. Mm-hmm. He, and, and we see that when he went to Geneva, he had no intention of being in Geneva. He was a scholar, and he wanted to live the life of a scholar. And so he was passing through Geneva, and he was going to go to Strasbourg, where things would be nice and easy for them. Instead, he ran into Geneva, and he ran into a man by the name of William Farrell, who, after reading his uh, first copy of the Institutes in 1536, decided this was the man to really bring the Reformation to Geneva. And Calvin said no. And then (laughs) at that point, uh, uh, William Farrell threatened him. He just simply said, you know, unless you stay here, God's going to curse you. He's going (laughs) to curse your ministry. And and that's what's going to happen. And and Calvin says, I was so stricken with terror that I desisted from the journey which I had undertaken. (laughs) And he stayed there. But that was his sense of duty. It was (laughs) a sense of duty towards God. It was. It was. You know, in my own life, I find that uh, many times we do things because 
It is a duty. I think you you chose a a key word there. As Christian men, we have a duty to obey God. We may not even feel like it at the time, but we got to do what's right. You know, um, we're nearing the end of uh, this session here. We're talking with uh, Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York, and Dr. Hans Vogt. Associate Professor at Ulster Kennedy Community College today here on A Plain Answer. We've been uh, discussing the influence of the thinking of John Calvin on American culture, on the founding of America. And what strikes me is that we're talking about a guy that was born 500 years ago. Uh, Last week we said, uh, you know, it was his birthday, a day before. It was July the 10th, 1509. Um, So here's this guy born in Noyon, France and he becomes the Geneva-based leader of the Protestant Reformation. And we're still talking about him today because his thinking is based on Scripture. He was a powerful teacher, Mm -hmm. and he trained men, and those men trained other men who had an effect on various parts of the world. And we mentioned some of those parts. What were they again? John Knox in Scotland. Scotland. uh, Establishing the Presbyterian Kirk uh, in Scotland. (laughs) Uh, The Dutch uh, Calvinists who revolt against Catholic Spain and and win their independence. The French Huguenots uh, who don't ultimately win uh, in France, but many of them come in exile Mm -hmm. uh, to America. And so America is in part founded by the English and Scottish and Dutch and French Calvinists uh, who come to to these shores. Yeah, Yeah. it's amazing. You, You really see how that... Thoughts have consequences, and what you believe in the deep recesses of your heart becomes played out in life. So, uh, particularly the men in our audience today, just just really guard your heart. Uh, what you believe in your heart, you carry out into life. It affects your, your children, your children's children. Yea, it affects even all of society. You think you're just one person, it doesn't count. That's not true. What you do actually counts. And, of course, Calvin would would say, you know, it wasn't uh, anything that he had done but the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the power of God that has taken and made any of this worthwhile. And, yeah. And that's, and that's the fact. Uh, yeah. All glory goes to God. That's Holy right. Holy Deo Gloria. Amen. <laughs> I think it was uh, A. Hodge. I've got a quote from him here. Um, thinking about how... Um, Uh, what we believe uh, affects all of life. He says this, A Christian is just as much under the obligation to obey God's will in the most secular of his daily businesses Mm. as he is in his closet, by that he meant his prayer closet, or at the communion table. He has no right to separate his life into two realms and acknowledge different moral codes in each respectively. God reigns over all, His will is the supreme law in all relations and actions. Well, we're just about out of time here today, here on A Plain Answer. This program, what we attempt to do is within the milieu of history and theology and current events, we explore a variety of questions of interest that have been brought to our attention either by you, the listener, or items that we've managed to dig up as we prepared for this program. And we try to offer a perspective that's anchored in history and biblical theology to help flesh out the topic and provide something for you to think about. We want to thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, great thanks of mine to uh, Reverend Mark Diedrich. 
you. And Dr. Hans Vogt. Thank, Thank you. you both for joining us for another great program. Look forward to seeing you all next week at this same time here on A Plain Answer. <laughs>